electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Scott, thank you so much. Welcome, everybody. I'm Tyler Matheson. Here's what's ahead. It's mission critical for the market. There is one stock reporting today that could determine where the market goes next, at least the NASDAQ. The name, how to position, where to find value in some beaten up sectors right now. Plus, the latest read on housing, we're finally seeing home prices fall in many areas. We look at where, by how much, and what it means overall for the state of real estate. And Peloton's prime move, the company partnering with Amazon to make its products more accessible. Uh, Will it be enough to appease investors and retail what's needed to right the ship? But we begin with today's markets and Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Uh, good afternoon there, Tyler. Uh, let's call it stable for the markets. Take a look at the major averages right now. Uh, believe it or not, we're most of the way through August, and we're pretty flat. S&P, NASDAQ, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, essentially flat for the month. And the important thing here is we're between a trading range of about 4,100 and 4,300 on the S&P 500. So let's call it stable. We don't have escape velocity because there's too much uncertainty out there. Maybe Powell can help reduce some of that uncertainty, uh, and we'll see what goes on with that here. In terms of what's moving, take a look at the retail stocks. We had a weekday overall weak report from Nordstrom. That's really weighing on retail. AutoZone was the same thing. They missed uh, their do-it-yourself business hurt by inflation and hurt by high fuel prices. That's weighing uh, on some of the competitors. Macy's yesterday still on the downside gap also weak today. Uh, Energy stocks keep moving up, uh, and this is not good for the bulls. Remember, they are proxies for inflation. And when you see Occidental, that's a new high for Occidental, $74. And the stocks that are very related to gas, natural gas activities, like EQT, uh, Devon's a big gas gas company, range resources. They've been having nice runs recently. Again, proxies for inflation. Bulls don't really want to see that. Semiconductors, it's a little uncertain what's going on here. Now, NVIDIA is going to report uh, tonight. We'll get Marvell tomorrow. We'll see what happens with that overall. Uh, gaming's been weak. Data centers kind of uncertain. We'll, we'll see. Intel, look at that, $33. That's a new low. That's a five-year low for Intel, one of the few chip stocks that have really been weak recently. Good sign for the bulls is the consumer staples, the defensive names have been kind of weakish recently. That's a sign they're nibbling on a little more growth stocks, so that growth rally really hasn't completely dissipated. Procter, Kimberly Clark, Colgate, Clorox, all to the downside. But we've got a couple of stocks, like Hershey's, for example, at 52-week highs. Still mixed market. Tyler, back to you. All right. Everybody loves chocolate, no matter the market. All right. Thank you, Bob. Our next guest says signs point to things getting worse before they get better, but that doesn't mean there aren't opportunities in the market. As Jim Cramer says, there's always a bull market somewhere. He's turned into some beaten-up sectors to find value right now. We'll talk about that and more with Chris Grisanti, chief equity strategist at MAI Capital Management. Chris, welcome. Good to see you here. You call this a bear market rally what we've been in here for the past couple of months. And one reason is that you say the Fed is no friend of the market and people who are seeing the early embryonic signs of a so-called pivot 
Uh, well, you better not wish for that because you might get right. it. And if you get it, that's a bad sign. Explain. Well, I, I think that's right, Tyler. It's nice to be with you again. Likewise. Um, I think the only thing that would cause a, uh, the Fed to really pivot in the way the markets would would uh, appreciate is, is something really bad for risk assets. So, so be careful what you wish for. A pivot event might be a meltdown in Europe or China because of energy issues or, or COVID, or a pivot event could be you know more Ukrainian problems. But we, we don't want that. Otherwise, I think on Friday, you know, I think you'll see uh, Jerome Powell be a wolf uh, come out of his sheep's clothing and say, look, the fight against inflation is going to be long and uncompromising. And, and that's clearly not good for risk assets. And but if I could add to that, it's not do. just the Fed. It's, it's uh, earnings are slowing. The yield curve's already inverted. And, and to take a quote from Game of Thrones, winter is coming. Uh, in Europe, the electricity and energy prices are off the charts. And, and so these headwinds, to me, uh, do not make me comfortable on the whole putting a whole lot of cash, new cash, into the equity market. And one of the things that too few, I think, folks have been focusing on uh, is the quantitative tightening that is going on, the way the Fed is, is uh, right. uh, reducing its balance sheet. That is another form of tighter money, and, and it's coming, and it's coming big and fast and hard. That, that's right. Not only that, but but we've just gotten back to kind of neutral on rates. And and to really stop the greatest inflation we've had in 40 years, you've got to get much more restrictive. And, and I think the Fed doesn't want to come right out and say that and really scare people. But I think you're going to get some more kind of stern talk on Friday. And I think it I think the market this week is already kind of anticipating it. So, All right, so, so you've laid you know, out we'll the, a hypothesis here for a, a bumpy market into year end, but you say there are a couple of companies that might sure. better withstand what's to come than others. Yeah, you know, and I, I'd advise the, our watchers to, to, to not try to call a bottom. If you see some great bargains in high-quality companies, go for it, no matter what the prognosis for the market is. What I like to, to, to look at now is what I call high-quality kryptonite. These are, are things that nobody wants to touch, either because they're in a bad sector or because they're in a bad situation specifically. But Home Depot would be a perfect example of that. I mean, it's in the housing sector. The stock's down 30%. Yet earnings last week were, were quite strong. Same store sales were up 9%. Uh, revenues hit a record, not, not least of which because of inflation. And the consumer is flush with cash. So even though folks aren't necessarily buying a lot of new homes now, they're actually continuing to fix up yep. their current home. So Home Depot is selling near a 10-year low valuation. So, so that would certainly be one name. All right, that's one name, and, and let the record show that the other is uh, Bristol-Myers, uh, and uh, you like that one. It's a defensive company. We have to leave it there without explanation, sure. but, but we'll just lay that on the table for further research. Chris Grisanti, thanks very much. Thank you, Tyler. Good to be with you. You got it. All right, meantime, crude touching its highest level in three weeks, but it's not the only commodity on the move. Pippa Stevens is here, literally right here, with a look at the rest of this. I usually connect with you through some I artifice, know, now but I'm now here. we're right here. Uh, so the what else is moving here is natural gas. Yes, natural gas, and then also steel is a really big mover here. It's been on a roller coaster ride, and prices shot up out of the pandemic, hitting a record just below $2,000 per short ton last fall. 
Prices then started to stabilize, briefly spiking after Russia invaded Ukraine before once again trending lower. Hot rolled steel is now sitting right around $800. That's down sharply for the year, but still elevated compared to historic prices. And over the last month, we've seen outperformance from a number of companies. Steel Dynamics, United States Steel, Nucor, and Cleveland Cliffs all up double digits. But all four are still well below their recent highs. And this group is so sensitive to broader macro issues. A prolonged downturn in economic activity could weigh on prices, on the flip side, an uptick in manufacturing, particularly from the auto industry, could support prices. And then there's the Inflation Reduction Act. CRU principal analyst Josh Spores said solar and wind will likely be two of the biggest drivers of steel demand over the next several years. So lots of factors here to watch, Tyler. But for now, these stocks are in the green for the year. And since you cover the whole waterfront of commodities, there's a big move going on in uranium as well. What's going on and why? Yeah, so much going on in commodities broadly. But the URA, which is the uranium ETF, is on track for its best day of the year. URNM up more than 11 percent. And this comes as Japan signals it will restart its nuclear power. Of course, the Fukushima disaster in 2011 meant they took basically all of their reactors offline. Prior to that, a third of their power came from nuclear. And then that all went away. And so now they're saying with power prices spiking, natural gas in Europe at record highs and here as well, everyone is looking for alternatives. And so the government has signaled it will restart those idled power plants and then also look into next-gen reactors. All right, Pippa, we will see you next hour, I hope, probably the old-fashioned way, connected by TV. Pippa Stevens, thanks. Coming up, it's a big day in the housing market. Home prices doing something they haven't done in more than a decade. We'll tell you what that is and how buyers can take advantage as mortgage rates inch, inch back towards 6%. Plus, a mega-cap tech stock, the third worst name in the Dow this year. And it's a, re and a retailer that is struggling after its spinoff. That's all ahead on Earnings Exchange with NVIDIA, Salesforce, and Victoria's Secret results on deck. We're back after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. New data shared exclusively with CNBC show that some cracks are starting to form in the housing market, but it could be good news for buyers for a change. Diana Olick has the details. Hi, Di. Hey, Ty. Yeah, finally a change in those red-hot home prices. We got these exclusive numbers this morning from Black Knight, showing prices dropped 
0.77% from June to July. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but it is the single largest month decline in 11 years for prices and the second worst July performance on record with only July 2010 during the Great Recession, seeing a larger single month drop in prices. Prices almost always rise from June to July because the housing market is seasonal. Families buy bigger and pricier homes in the spring and summer so they can move during school breaks. Prices are still up just over 14 percent year over year, but most of that gain is due to big increases in the first few months of this year and, of course, last year. All real estate is local, so some markets have seen much bigger drops over the last few months. San Jose, California leads the pack down 10 percent, followed by Seattle, San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles and Denver. These, of course, some of the priciest housing markets in the nation. Now, the biggest price jumps occurred during the first part of the pandemic were in the Sun Belt, mainly Florida, and prices there are still holding. Tyler. All right, Diana. Thank you very much. Diana Olick reporting. Well, the housing market may be starting to show some cracks, but our next guest says don't expect anything meaningful to change until rates fall. Let's bring in Logan Motrashami. He's the uh, head analyst at Housing Wire. Logan, welcome. Good to have you with us. Um, so do you see this trend, higher rates, slightly uh, dampening prices continuing for the next several months, or do you see anything in the marketplace that could flip that script? Hopefully rates stay high enough this year and next year to get total inventory back to 2019 levels. Uh, if the Fed is truly believing in the housing reset, this needs to occur. But traditionally speaking, when the economic data starts to get this worse, post-1982, bond yields typically fall into a recession. So we have a little tug of war right now. Can the economy stay firm enough to keep rates high enough, or does the recession pull uh, bond yields and mortgage rates lower? So getting the inventory and demand back into a greater balance means exactly what? In other words, that, that, buyer, that sellers keep listing, but buyers don't go for the price and the rate and the monthly payment they have to pay. Here's the problem with inventory in America. A traditional seller is also a traditional buyer. And what we've seen in the last five weeks is new listings are declining faster now than in the last two years. So hopefully what happens is higher rates creates weaker demand. New listings every year accumulates, right? So it's right. the weakness of a demand that will get us back up there. And that's what I'm hoping will occur, that total inventory levels could get back to 2019 levels, which were the four-decade low before 2020. But we have a more functioning marketplace in the U.S. when uh, inventory levels are back there. You know, the, the, the Great Recession back in 2008, 2009, and into 2010, uh, really housing prices started to turn a little bit a couple of years before that, as I recall. Uh, are, you're not looking for what we saw then, which was a major decline in housing values, or are you? If you're looking back in inventory levels, I think we got to 4 million uh, total uh, listings in 2007. The problem was back then, uh, the housing market was cracking in terms of foreclosures and bankruptcies in 2005, Correct. 6, 7, and 8. Then the job loss recession happened after that. We don't have that kind of backdrop where we have forced uh, sellers. It's a much different marketplace. And obviously, on the on the thought that Diana mentioned, which is, of course, the cliche, but it's true. Most cliches do have a grain of truth. And that is that all real estate is local. You would expect, I assume, that those housing markets that got the hottest will cool the most. Naturally, that's the case. We see that in Boise. We see that in Phoenix. We see that in Reno. Uh, 
those are a few pockets of the country. And then everywhere else is just kind of seeing slow inventory gains. So that's why the national inventory data is not back to 2019 levels. But those uh, areas definitely for sure are already there. Do you see I some... Would consider that a, I would consider that a good thing for this country, that those, those inventory levels are back up there. Do you see some markets wherever where you think demand is going to increase and prices will, if not just be stable, go higher despite the, the overall trend? If mortgage rates fall back down again, uh, like we saw in the previous decade, demand will pick up. But as long as rates stay at you know five to six percent level, demand should be very soft until that uh, the rate aspect kicks in. And we've always had that happen in the past ten years, where rates go up, demand gets weaker, then rates fall down. But right now, it's a much different. We actually haven't experienced a housing market post 2010 where we've had two years back to back of mortgage rates above five percent. So. Uh, if the economic data holds firm enough, rates should stay this high. If not, then traditionally what happens, rates fall and, and bond yields fall. Logan, you gave us a lot of content there. We thank you. Logan Motoshami, we appreciate it. Have a good day. Still ahead, Peloton shares are popping. Yes, popping. You heard me right. After the company struck a deal to sell its equipment and apparel on Amazon. Will it be enough to turn the stock around permanently after falling 60 percent since January? More if you go back farther. Plus, President Biden will announce his plan to cancel a portion of student debt. That's going to happen within the next hour or two. We will bring you details ahead of his remarks. It's now scheduled for 2.15 p.m. Eastern time, but he keeps to his schedule kind of about as well as Amtrak does. The exchange is back after this. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Exchange. Let's take a look at the markets. Basically flat today. The Dow uh, at its high was up 186 points. Now it is uh, up 27 points. You see the S&P 500 up about a fifth of a percent and NASDAQ up a half percent. Here's some of the movers this hour. Nordstrom moving the wrong way down. Uh, the mall retail firm, uh, those names after disappointing earnings report yesterday for Nordstrom, along with Macy's, American Eagle, Abercrombie, Urban Outfitters uh, going the other way. Uh, worst day in a year there for Nordstrom after cutting its full year forecast on slowing consumer demand. And we stick with retail. Bed Bath & Beyond has reportedly picked up a lender to help shore up its liquidity concerns. Shares there down nearly 50 percent since GameStop chairman, GameStop chairman Ryan Cohen filed last week to sell his entire stake in the company. I believe he was the number one or two shareholder there. Despite that share sharp drop, shares have nearly doubled in August, flirting with their best month ever. That's for b -b 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 baby, BBBY. And shares of T-Mobile moving sharply higher in the latest hour after SpaceX says it will make a joint connectivity announcement tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. The event will feature Elon Musk, alongside T-Mobile's CEO. Should be interesting to watch. Let's see. Now to Kate Rogers for a CNBC News update. Kate. 
Thanks, Tyler. Here is your CNBC News update at this hour. GOP Representative Scott Perry is suing the Department of Justice, demanding all cell phone data seized by federal agents earlier this month be returned to him. The Pennsylvania congressman is a top Trump ally and said the data on his phone is privileged information. Bird flu is killing hundreds of wild black vultures at a Georgia sanctuary that houses more than 1,500 other animals. Officials are saying initial test results indicate the black vultures had died of the highly pathogenic H5N1 strain. A Belgian-British teenager became the youngest person to fly around the world solo in a small aircraft after landing on Wednesday in Bulgaria. Mac Rutherford turned 17 on the five-month trip and claimed two Guinness World Records in the process. And tonight on the news, we'll have the complete breakdown of President Biden's announcement on student loan forgiveness and what impact it has on borrowers. Tyler, back over to you. All right, Kate, thank you very much. And coming up, uh, slowing sales are hurting Victoria's Secret and Salesforce, while NVIDIA already warned of disappointing results because of a gaming slowdown. What will it take to turn things around? That's next on the Earnings Exchange. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Uh, two tech giants and a retailer on deck with results. And we've got the action, the story, the trade, all three of them, starting with NVIDIA, the company pre-announcing some earnings a couple of weeks ago, guiding down on revenue forecasts, uh, shares down 9% since then, and uh, cut in half from their all-time high. This, Steve Kovac, was a, a market darling. Tell us about what they're looking for this quarter and what's next. Yeah, absolutely, Tyler. So we already got the warning a couple of weeks ago that things aren't going to look as good as we thought they were going to look. And they are blaming gaming. But here's the other thing. NVIDIA touches a lot of industries. They touch autos, chips and autos. They touch crypto mining. They touch gaming, of course, and PCs. So these are all things people have questions. What does demand look like for all of these sectors? So NVIDIA kind of has their finger in all this. We already got a preview of what the actual top and bottom line results are probably going to look like. So that's not going to be the surprise. The surprise for me is going to be, what do they say on the call about the macroeconomic environment? What do we need to know about all these different sectors that they have their fingers in, especially PC demand? We heard during this running season from Microsoft saying, quote, deteriorating PC demand. Is NVIDIA seeing the same thing? And where are they seeing it? At the high end, the super expensive machines that they typically put their chips in or at the low end. So this is going to be a really interesting earnings report across so many sectors. Very interesting. A real bellwether. And Danielle Shea is here, has the trades. She's director of options at Simpler Trading. What do you think on NVIDIA, Danielle? Welcome. Hey, Tyler. You know, looking at NVIDIA, I honestly, I'm thinking that the pre-announcement is going to save them here because when you're looking at other companies that have already pre-announced earnings, I mean, just take Walmart, for example, what we typically see after that is the bad news is already priced in and that leaves room for the stock to rally. I like the way that NVIDIA is sitting on the $170 price point. I do like the stock. I am a shareholder. I think that right now with the geopolitical tensions, especially between, you know, uh, Taiwan, China, and obviously the economic slowdowns that we're seeing, I think it's expected that it's going to be a little bit weak. And for that reason, the expectation will be priced in and that leaves room for NVIDIA to trade higher. So I'm holding my shares. I think it's a good spot to add. But if I'm wrong, this is going to bring down the NASDAQ tomorrow. Steve, react to what Danielle said and more importantly, react to her fish tank. <laughs> The fish tank looks great. I, I'm really a does. huge admirer of the fish tank. Um, look, NVIDIA, again, yes, they 
it might be good for them. We did see that with Walmart, but it's also a different kind of company than Walmart. What um, what, re- what, what really matters here, what I'm really thinking of, again, is what it's telling us about consumer demand, because that's going to inform how we think about some other companies reporting Dell, HP, PC makers, and what to the expect. Auto, game makers, uh, auto, game auto, makers auto, automobiles. It's, yeah. it, all these are struggling uh, industries right now, and it's... Uh, NVIDIA is unique in that it can touch all this. Even crypto prices. What is falling, these falling crypto prices and these exchanges going down, right. what does that tell us about NVIDIA? Or what does NVIDIA tell us about Daniel, that final thought on NVIDIA before we move on. You know, I just think that it's expected to be weak. And generally what we've seen with earnings this quarter is that when the expectation is priced in, it leaves room for the stock to rally. So I absolutely agree that we're going to see weakness, but I don't think that that's going to destroy the stock after the earnings report. All right, let's go on to uh, Salesforce, one of the worst performers in the Dow this year, down 30%. But according to facts that the company has never missed earnings or revenue estimates in the last 20 consecutive quarters. Steve Kovac, uh, what do you say? I'm back again. Here I am. So on Salesforce, it's really about IT spend from small and medium businesses. We heard this from Microsoft. They're seeing a softening in basically the client base for Salesforce uh, of IT spend as people draw back, recession fears, laying people off and so forth. And, and one of the first things to go is spending on these kind of IT things, maybe not cybersecurity. What Microsoft did say in their earnings, though, and we can listen to this from the Salesforce end, the higher end, the big companies are increasing their spend. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can kind of make up what they're missing out on, on these uh, smaller and medium businesses with some larger clients. All right. So, Danielle, what do you think of the company that never misses? You know, I like Salesforce here. I think it's been unfairly punished. Obviously, the technical downtrend is very weak, um, but they have done a good job rallying at least just over the past few weeks. If you look at the way that they have reported the past few quarters, I mean, they've been smashing it as far as their earnings results are concerned. And when you look at the way that it gapped up last quarter, I mean, it had 11% move. This quarter, what we've seen throughout sentiment is that we've seen companies that beat earnings We've seen them trade higher. So I like the way that Salesforce has recovered off the lows. I think it's a hold at the minimum. And I think it's actually a bear market buy because I think that this company in the long term is going to recover. Danielle, thank you, Steve. Thank you for being with us and walking us through those two stocks. We should point out that Salesforce's CEO, Mark Benehoff, will be on Mad Money tonight with Jim Cramer. That's after earnings cross, 6 p.m. Eastern time tonight. Mr. Benehoff uh, and the king of Mad Money. Finally, we go to Victoria's Secret uh, reporting after the bell today about one year from its spinoff from Bath and Body Works. Shares are down 45 percent over the past year, but up 16 percent in the last month. Month, Courtney Reagan has the story on Victoria's Secret. Hi, Court. Hi, Tyler. Yeah, so it's been a year since the spinoff, the spinoff, but there's still a lot going on here in the details behind the scenes when it comes to the total transformation of the operations and the brand itself. And frankly, sentiment is relatively low. I think investors just have pretty low expectations in general about the turnaround planned and then throw on the pressures from the broader macroeconomic environment into what we're dealing with now. And it just gets really, really difficult. Obviously, inventory is going to be key, but so is margins. Um, I believe it was B. Riley, Susan Anderson was doing sort of a check online and says clearance levels for Victoria's Secret are up 78 percent year over year and up 74 percent compared to 
2019, sort of that pre-pandemic base case year. So that doesn't bode well for margins. I think this is just going to be a rough sledding ahead. I think investors know that, though. And so a lot more rides on the commentary from the executives, how they're going to navigate through these external challenges in the middle of a brand transformation. Danielle, some thoughts? You know, I like the brand transformation, Tyler, and I think that the way that they've reported over the course of the past three quarters has been very positive. Yes, obviously, I agree there's softness in the retail space and there are a lot of changes going on and a lot of different reasons why this stock could trade lower post earnings. But I like the recovery that we've seen, and I also like the high short interest. Whenever I see a stock recover off of the lows in the way that it has plus high short interest, what that tells me is that short sellers are nervous here. And the stock has about a $5 expected move on earnings. If they happen to do well, which I think they will based off of the past few reports, that could send short sellers scrambling and the stock trading higher. If we could get above about $43, $45 on this stock, then it could really change the overall downtrend that it's in, especially due to short covering. Courtney, uh, reactions there, and, and, and tell us a little bit more about this brand transformation. What are they trying to get away from? What are they trying to move toward? Yeah, so Tyler, obviously Victoria's Secret sort of built on this very ultra-feminine, extremely sexy image, but sexy in this sort of traditional way that, let's just say, is not super woke with today's standards. And so they're working on trying to change that branding image, saying, yes, you can still feel beautiful, but beautiful is in the eye of the beholder and the definition is changing and we're here for it. So you got to be along for that ride, I think, and you got to believe that they can do it. They're starting some new lines, some lines uh, aimed at tweens. I think it was called Happy Nation was just a new announcement. So that's part of it. But the overall marketing, branding, the products they sell and the way it's presented, those are really the big changes. And of course, a year in, they've worked through, I think, a lot of the operational kinks of being spun out of that bigger corporation. But of course, then you had all these supply chain complications that got thrown in there too, which probably made those plans a little bit more complicated. But it's really the branding message, the marketing, and the product that they're selling, which is the biggest shift for investors and frankly, for the consumers to get behind. Dan Last word. Um, you know, Tyler, if I owned Victoria's Secret, which I don't, I personally would hold it. I think that overall the market right now, of course, we're seeing weakness across the board, especially in retail. But I think that we should hold out for this brand transformation because I think the last three quarters they've shown that they've been doing well and they're doing a really good job reversing the mm -hmm. overall reversing the trend of the overall business and of the overall stock chart. Very interesting and, and interesting, Courtney, to to use the phrase woke uh, or not be enough. I, I, mean, I, think that's a, I think that's a very, uh, very good point there. It just doesn't maybe it doesn't fit with the times the way it did a decade ago. Right. Ladies, Courtney, Danielle, thank you very much. We appreciate thank it. Thank you. All right, uh, still ahead, prime time for Peloton shares. Up, what, up, almost 20% on news that the company's gonna sell some of its equipment and apparel, water bottles, shoes on Amazon. Our own Lauren Thomas broke that story. She joins us live with all the details. She's been out front on Peloton all year long. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. We've got some big news from Peloton today. The company moving beyond just direct-to-consumer selling and will begin selling some of its equipment and apparel and other accessories on Amazon. 
This in an effort to make its products more accessible. The stock up sharply on the news, uh, up by 19% today alone, still down more than 60% so far this year. And the farther back you look, uh, the, the worse that number appears to be. CNBC's.com's uh, Lauren Thomas broke the story as she had, has so many on Peloton over the years. Obviously, they just want to get more product out the door, right? And they see Amazon as a great way to do it. Definitely. It's Amazon, you know, the, the e-commerce giant. And that's essentially what the company told me. I was able to talk to their ch chief commercial officer, Kevin Corneals, uh, about this announcement. And Kevin told me, you know, look, this is kind of the best way for us to test the waters as we think about our approach beyond direct to consumer and, and wanting to move into a distribution, uh, some sort of agreement with a distribution partner. It, you know, Amazon's a great way to start. Um, I was told that already about half a million people are searching on Amazon every month for Peloton products. So the company believes that that customer is there. But again, this is really Peloton's first move away from its D2C roots. It has solely relied on its stores and its website to sell products. So this would now. be the equipment, the bikes and the treads, yes. right? And it would be the apparel. Well, it doesn't. I should jump in. So it doesn't include the tread. Doesn't include starting the tread. Starting with a more limited selection of equipment. So the bike and the strength training product that they have, which is called the guide. Mm. There will also be cycling shoes, yoga blocks, other fitness accessories that you might be looking for on Amazon, I think that's an area where they could get some incremental here's, revenue. Here's a key question to me. I am an yeah. owner of a Peloton. When it arrived, it's a big thing. Right. It had to come up two flights of stairs to the third floor where I installed it. <laughs> I could not have done that by myself. If Absolutely, I get delivery yeah. through Amazon, mm -hmm. am I going to be able to have someone who is going to bring that case into the house right. and, if I want, assemble it? Yeah, great question, because this is key to this, this tie-up. For the first time, Peloton will be offering, through Amazon, a self-assembly option. So it sounds like, in your case, you might not be the prime customer that would pick self-assembly. Now, you will still be able to choose expert assembly, which will be offered through Amazon. They will actually, Amazon will be fulfilling the order rather than Peloton. So someone will come, they'll be trained on how to help you set up the product and help you through that experience. But in, as a way to try to save costs here, Peloton is going to, for the first time, be testing this self-assembly option. They've got a video, um, you know, an 11-minute video, essentially, that shows you how to put your bike together. The assembly didn't look that hard. but, yeah, but it's um, mostly, you know, it's mostly complete when, when it comes. But the but carrying it upstairs oh, heavy. was yeah. very hard. <laughs> I, I mean, I could not have done it. I don't think I could have done it even with my 16-year-old. My exactly. The company has had some criticism, hasn't it, for the amount of capital that its founders took out, uh, this was before the, the, the thing uh, exactly. rolled over, that uh, they took out. Is, is that criticism justified or were those sales of stock um, largely um, pre-scheduled right. by contract? Yeah. Great question, because especially right around where we started to see things turn south, we did see a number of stock sales, I think, in, in large part, Founder John Foley at the time was selling stock. A lot of that was planned, but certainly when you have that news coupled with, you know, demand starts to fall off and you learn of all these, you know, wrong choices that the company made, you, you know, it's, it's not a good look. Yeah. Look, I'm a fan. I, I think it's a really good product. It's been the one uh, um, personal uh, exercise device that I have actually stuck with <laughs> because it, the entertainment factor is pretty good. Is, I mean, yeah. you're motivated by them. They've got a lot of instructors. They do. They have so far, I think, resisted the, they've, they've cut a lot of jobs, mm -hmm. but not 
they really haven't it, cut instructors. And that is such a key point. I mean, you look at these instructors, I think, are they've carried a lot of the weight. You Some know, of them have become stars, oh, Instagram stars, uh, TikTok stars, and so forth. Right. So you've got to keep the instructors happy <laughs> above uh, all else. There's Cody Rigsby. I even know them by name. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. That that's Camilla Ramon, I think. I can't remember. He's a oh, yeah, that's the guy who was a basketball star. <laughs> Anyhow, um, how much do those instructors get paid? Oh, gosh. I, there you know? are estimates out there. That's not something that the company discloses. I bet I mean, they don't. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, though, as you can imagine, upwards to, you know, maybe the million-dollar mark. But, again, not something that they've yeah. that they And, they, and they, a lot of them have side hustles going on, too. Oh, yeah, they yeah. do, which I think, which again, that keeps, I mean, I keep, that keeps the image, you know, the brand that they create themselves to then keep these oh, followings yeah. of, of right. loyal writers. Got to leave it there. Could spend the whole day on it. <laughs> I know. Lauren it's an, such an interesting topic. Thanks very much. <laughs> Still ahead, auto dealers. Record profit, strong demand, sending their stock soaring. Carvana leading the way, up 45% in just the past month. So should you get in here, or is the group about to run out of road? That's next. Welcome back, everybody. Car dealer stocks sharply higher today. This is auto dealers continue to see record profits and demand. Phil LeBeau is here with the latest numbers. Hi, Phil. Hey, Tyler. This is new data from Kerrigan Advisors, which tracks the auto dealer sector, essentially looking at the transactions and the profitability of dealerships and look at how profitable they've become, especially in the last couple of years. Just a few years ago, the average annual profitability per dealership was about a million and 1.5, million. It has shot up this year on average. The average dealership is, is scheduled to make about $4.3 million. What's going on with the dealerships? Why have they become so profitable? Well, part of it is because of the demand that's out there with more people driving, with the service side of the, uh, the business, but also the average dealership now is much more in demand and they're selling at a higher fate, a higher pace. Kerrigan Advisor says dealership sales where the actual dealership is sold to another dealership up 16% in the first half of the year. Most of that private dealers buying more dealerships, not the publicly traded ones. In fact, as you take a look at the publicly traded dealerships, they're actually buying fewer of the dealerships that are for sale, in part because you've got higher interest rates. Uh, and there's also a an issue with the valuations as they have changed in the last year. Also, take a look at Group One. Earl Hesterberg, the longtime CEO there, announced today that he is going to be stepping down come December 31st. And we're showing you this over the last five years, a nice run under Earl Hesterberg. And then, Tyler, you were showing the Internet-only uh, auto dealers, if you will, the Carvanas of the world, Vroom, Car Gurus. Uh, if you take a look at those, yes, they are having a, a decent little pop today, and they are up nicely in the last month. But it's not been a good year for these guys. In fact, all of them are trading not far from their 52-week lows. Bottom line is this, Tyler. Plenty of demand out there for new and especially used automobiles. And if you are an auto dealer, you are getting high profitability right now, not just because of the transactions on the used side, but also the service side, as well as the financing and, and uh, insurance component of the business as well. Interesting news on Earl Hesterberg. He's been a good friend to uh, Power Lunch and other shows on CNBC. Always yeah. very candid. He's been on a lot. We wish him the best. We'll have him on uh, before he leaves. Uh, I was speaking to a friend who was in the business, and he, he spot on says what you just said. That is, he may not be doing the volumes or have the inventory, but boy, he's making more profit for every car he sells. Yep. 
Never Absolutely. been more profitable. And it's and look, Tyler, think back to a few years ago. I want to go back maybe 2015, 2016. Oh, the sky was falling on these guys. They weren't going to be able to compete on the Internet-only sales. They weren't going to be able to compete in the electric vehicle world. They're more profitable than ever. This business is not going away anytime soon, and that's why you see so much demand for people to get more scale. If they can look out over the next 10 years and say, look, the auto dealers aren't going away, and we can be more profitable, if you can continue to do what you're doing right now, through the rest of this decade into the early 2030s, uh, that's the reason why there's so much demand out All there right. for those dealerships that are available for sale. Phil, great stuff. Thank you, as always. Phil LeBeau. You as Phil mentioned, we have been seeing car dealer stocks accelerate in the past month, but do these stocks have more room to run? Our next guest says yes. He's got five buy ratings in the space, and he joins us now to make his case. Michael Ward is an auto analyst at The Benchmark Company. Michael, welcome. Good to have you with us. Let me just ask one straight question before we get to the real meat of this, uh, of this segment. Does the fact that the dealers are making more profit mean that the manufacturers make more profit, too? To the extent that they're not discounting as much. You know, if you look at just incentive spending, you know, there's been a lot written about ATPs going up $10,000 since the end of 2019. Uh, about a third of that is from lower incentive spending. So the incentives comes out of the, the vehicle manufacturer's pocket. Uh, then in turn, they don't cut the, the pricing on the suppliers as much. So it's better for the overall industry. All right. Let's talk about about the the dealership stocks. And as Phil pointed out, there's a kind of schism between the uh, publicly traded traditional, more traditional dealers and the online dealers. Explain um, explain why that is true and which you favor. OK, one thing on Earl Hesterberg before I get into that, uh, you know, one of the primary and more important responsibilities of a CEO is to make sure you have a good succession. To that extent, you know, Group One has a great management team, and Earl put that in place. So I think he should be commended for that. Uh, as it relates to the view, the, the the new car dealers versus the used only retailers, um, it's a great time to be an auto dealer, and, and I think part of that will continue longer term because the dealer model has changed. If you think back back to the 70s when General Motors and Ford and Chrysler were just getting crushed in market share throughout the 80s and even even 90s. The model has continued to trend. It's changed over those 30, 40 years. Now you're in more of a relationship to model. The vehicle manufacturers are going to be carrying less inventory than they have historically, uh, hopefully a lot more than they're carrying today. And as a result, it'll become more of a prestige model, which means more profitability for the good dealers. Yeah. Why would you ever go back? Why? I'm sitting there as I drive to work and I pass a, a Chevrolet dealer happens to be on, on my on my right side. I've done business with them in the past and they, their lot seems maybe a third full. Why would you ever go back to a model where the where those dealer lots are full of excess inventory where, where, you know, and so so then you're forced to discount, you're forced to throw incentives to move the metal. Yeah, and a lot of that was initiated by GM and Ford. Remember, GM and Ford, they, they had this declining model. They were losing so much market share. They had very high structural cost, very high fixed cost. A lot of that has changed. GM and Ford's break-even levels are down 50%, you know, over the last decade. They want a lower model, a more efficient model. Mike Jackson from AutoNation argued for decades about carrying less inventory. Right. The vehicle manufacturers had to operate at a higher level of utilization to keep that cost in line. Now what you've seen is it started with COVID. You recovered faster than we expected, right. and the inventory was absorbed very quickly. So now you're at one-third of historical levels with inventory, 
and the industry has become more profitable. You asked me earlier what? about some of my top picks. Yeah, give me, uh, give me, look, give me your favorite. In, in, give me your favorite. Yeah, um, Penske Automotive Group or Group One. Both companies have exposure in the UK market, and the dynamics that are leading to the positive results in the US are even more positive in the UK market. So that should be a positive. Michael, we covered a lot of territory there in a short period of time. Michael Ward, thanks. Appreciate thanks for it. having me. Really you appreciate bet. It. Still ahead, President Biden will announce his plan to cancel student loan debt for certain borrowers. So who qualifies for how much and will it impact inflation? We've got the details on that next. Welcome back, everybody. The president getting ready to talk about his student loan forgiveness plan in just a few minutes from now. For what for what we can expect to hear, I'm joined by Sharon Epperson. This has been, Sharon, a long-awaited, almost torturous uh, uh, period of time. And now we think we're going to hear pretty certainly what he has in mind. That's exactly what we're thinking. In just a few minutes, President Biden will unveil this long-awaited plan for student loan debt relief. And here's what we know so far. The Biden administration will forgive up to $20,000 of debt for Pell Grant recipients and up to $10,000 for all other borrowers. This is for individuals earning less than $125,000 per year, $250,000 for couples. Now, about 43 million Americans will get some form of relief, and 20 million of those borrowers will have their debt canceled. This comes at a time when the economy is suffering from record high inflation, and also the pause on student loan repayments for all borrowers, which has been in effect since the start of the pandemic, will be extended another time until December 31st of this year. And on undergraduate loans, repayments can be capped at 5% of your monthly income. Now, this plan is already controversial, with GOP leader Kevin McCarthy saying it will be paid for by, quote, hardworking Americans who already paid off their debts or never took out loans. Meanwhile, CNBC Momentum's recent survey found about two-thirds of respondents favored some form of student loan forgiveness, while 30% said no one should have their loans canceled. There's a lot more about this on CNBC.com personal finance and a lot more strategies for people to help them figure out what to do, Tyler. Minority Leader McCarthy making the point that, that this has got to be paid for from somewhere. He says it's going to come out of people who've already paid off their loans and aren't behind. What is the, the do we know the approximate cost of what this is? Well, there program? have been some reports saying this will cost about $300 billion over 10 years. We don't know exactly how this is going to be paid for. And that's what we're waiting to hear in a few moments. What are some of the details here in how it will be paid for and how people will actually be able to get this forgiveness? Is, is this something that the president can do on his own or does Congress need to get involved because it involves some kind of budgetary impact? Well, of course, there are a lot of members of Congress that are weighing in on this and they will want to have some say on it. But ultimately, we'll hear what President Biden has to say in just a few moments. All right, Sharon, thanks so much. Absolutely. Sharon, good to see you. Sharon Epperson. All right, that does it for the exchange. I'm going to join Seema Modi on Power Lunch, which starts right now. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app 
or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. <laughs> 